Anybody in here ever been like me? Walking through life, struggling, because you felt like nobody knew or cared who you were. No, nobody cared who you were. You can walk through crowds and they don't know you. They don't care about you. You feel so very insignificant in this place. And I know I'm not the only one who believes that what people want most in life is relevance. They want to matter to somebody. Can, can I tell you that you might go through this life and you might not find a whole lot of people on this side who care about you, but you can rest assured that he knows your name. He cares about you. He loves you. He knows you. Yeah. Not only that, I'm so glad to know that he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me that I'm his own. Yeah. He, he knows my name. And he pronounces it right, too. Yeah. Why? Because it cares enough to say my name right. That matters. Doesn't want to confuse me with nobody else. I'm not Andre to him. I'm Andre. Oh, I hear you, Lord. Yeah, we can go to the garden. Or we can be in the attic. It don't matter. He'll call my name. You ought to love the Lord. If you know him, you ought to love him. You ought to appreciate him. Come on, glory, 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 glory this morning. Come on, glory. Come on now. Glory is the name of this choir. Yeah. Sole mission it is to bring glory to the Lord. Oh, my goodness. He knows my name. That was one of them songs that the congregation was about to take from y'all. Oh yeah, that happens, yeah. About to take from y'all, cause they, and that's how every song ought to be. It's more of y'all, more of us out there than them. We ought to take every song. Yeah, yeah. They shouldn't be singing to tickle us. They're just leading us in choir, in song. So thank you, thank you, amen. Joshua, chapter 7, verse 1 leads us into a message this morning. Spent last month preaching about prayer, talking about prayer. Joshua 7 and 1. Father, bless us and keep us. And he wrote, you know something's going on when the sentence starts with but. Conjunction is going to draw us back to another part of scripture. 
And when it starts in the first verse of a chapter, your Bible study habits ought to take you to the previous chapter to find out what happened. To make the writer start off with that conjunction, but. He wrote, but the Israelites committed a trespass in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, son of Karma, the son of Zabdi, who was the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the things devoted for destruction, and the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. Let me read it without putting his pedigree in it. But the Israelites committed a trespass in regard to the devoted things. All right. For Achan took some of the things devoted for destruction, and the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. I'm reading out of the Amplified Version of the Bible. Now, there's a reason why the writer put his pedigree in this verse. His pedigree is simply who his folks are, where he comes from. Why did they put his mom and dad and all them in there? And that's part of this message today. I want to lift that up to you. It's not just in there for a form or fashion. There's a reason why who he belongs to matters in this message. All right? Who you belong to matters, too. For a little while this morning, let me see if I can talk to you about the topic of secret sins. Secret sins. The reason why there is a conjunction that starts verse 1 of chapter 7 it's because the writer wants to throw us back into chapter 6. Particularly verse 27 of chapter 6. And that verse reads thus, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. So now walk with me and ask how, just with the flip of a page, you go from the Lord being with Joshua to the extent that his fame spreads throughout the land, and you have to jump to verse 1 of chapter 7 and start out saying, but. But the Israelites committed a trespass. In other words, Everything is going well for Joshua and the Israelites. But there's a problem. We know Joshua. If you don't know him, if you've not heard of him in Scripture, Joshua is the author of the book we're reading. Joshua is trying to lead us to a level of understanding that he gained by living through this episode. He's letting us know that you can go from being high, high, high to not being high. 
And there are some things that can throw you off stride if you don't take care of your business. Joshua, who's also known as the son of Nun, who had been born into slavery. Joshua had lived what can only be characterized as a very interesting life. His name means Yahweh delivers. That's prophetic when it comes to what he would ultimately do for the Israelites. He was a member of the tribe of Ephraim. When he became a young man, he found himself in the military, as most did. And he found himself working with a man who had been called to deliver the Hebrew people out of bondage. He gained favor in the eyesight of Moses. Moses identified Joshua as a leader early on, and scripture will tell you that Moses appointed him his field general in battle. Knowing about battles just a little ought to tell you he could fight. He was a brave man, a courageous man, but not only was he physically impressive, Cass, the Bible says that he was called a battlefield genius. This is Joshua. Everybody loved him. He figured out strategies to defeat the enemy. Joshua, because of his closeness in relationship to Moses, got a chance to see some things that other people might not ever have imagined in their lives. It was Joshua who was on the mountain when Moses took the trek up Mount Sinai and the Lord gave him the law that he hewed out of stone. It was Joshua who was ear hustling between Moses and the Lord when the Lord gave him the Ten Commandments. It was Joshua whose eyes had to be big as saucers when he realized that Moses was actually talking to the king of kings, the Lord of lords. This is Joshua who we're talking about here. Joshua, who was one of the 12 spies when they finally got to the promised land. And Moses looked around and said, I need somebody to go in and spy on the land. Of course he was gonna go with his most trusted servant. So he said, Joshua, you and Caleb come here. Go over there and see what you can see. On the other side, it was Joshua who came back with the minority report from all of the 12 spies. It was only Joshua and Caleb who came back. They didn't see giants. No, 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 they saw, they saw the promised land. No, no, they weren't afraid. They were excited that God was about to bring them into the promised place that he had brought them to. It was Joshua who was the one who was going to lead them in the battles leading up to going in the promised land. See, because of their disobedience, God gave them the promised land, but he made them work for it. If they hadn't been disobedient before, I can't imagine how smooth it might have been. But because it was, God needed somebody 
who could lead them tactically in it, and that's Joshua. It's this Joshua that I'm talking about, Joshua, who was chosen by God when it was time for Moses to go and sleep with the elders. It was obvious who his heir apparent was going to be. Nobody was qualified to do it, but the one who had been peeping around the corner when God talked to him on the mountain, it was Joshua who was tagged as the one to be Moses' successor. Joshua, who actually led the Israelites into the promised land. Remember now, people tell that story because they don't know the Bible that Moses led folk into the promised land. That's not true. That's not true. Know your Bible, all right? Moses led them up to the promised land. But because of Moses' sin before the Lord, the Lord would not allow Moses to actually go into the promised land. He did bless him and let him look over into it before he died. Now, this, this, this is interesting. This after Moses worked for the Lord for 40 years. But sin is sin. And God said, you were disobedient to me. When I told you to wave the rod over the rock, you struck it. And so because of that, you can't go into the promised land, but, but come take a peek. Moses died and was sleeping with the elders. And Joshua was the one who was tasked with actually taking them into the promised land. He led the Israelites into battle after battle. It was Joshua who became God's spokesman after Moses was gone. And it was Joshua who led the victory at Jericho. Joshua, who had obeyed all of God's commands, and because he obeyed all of God's commands, God was always with him. Joshua was faithful. You know Joshua. Okay. You know Joshua told the folk, you can go look at them folk over there we just beat up, and you can decide whether you want to follow the gods they followed. I'm paraphrasing. He said, you be the choice on that one. He said, but as for me, I've been riding with the Lord for a long time. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. This is the Joshua I'm talking about. Joshua. Loved the Lord. He listened to him, obeyed his commands. And yet, chapter 7 starts with a but. How in the world do you go from all of this righteousness and rightness with the Lord and drop into chapter 7 and start out but? But there it is right there. It says, but the children of Israel committed a trespass and so set, the, set God against them. The children of Israel look like they have undone everything Joshua has been doing all his life because they now have the Lord angry at them. What could have been the misdeed? that it messed up the relationship. And Joshua is writing to let us know that even when everything is going well, when you're realizing success at the top, when you're on the top of your game, you still have to remain vigilant. Okay. You can't let your guard down at all because something can slip in. It's not just the enemy on the outside you have to be concerned about. I hope you hear me now. Joshua is letting us know you have to be concerned with the enemy on the inside. 
because the enemy on the inside can do just as much damage to you, if not more, as the one on the outside. In the taking of Jericho, back in Joshua chapter 6, the Lord gave very specific instructions. Pay attention to what the Lord tells you and do it. He said, but in verse 18, if you go back and read it, he, write, he tells them, but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. Verse 19, he said, all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go in the treasury. The Lord said, don't take anything for yourself. All of the silver, all the gold, all the bronze, all the material wealth is devoted to, to the Lord. That sounds real good. Till you got out there and you saw all the gold and all the silver. Instructions are good in theory. It's a practical application that you and I have to be concerned about. When they went in and routed Jericho, there was only one family that was saved. And that was the family of a harlot. A prostitute was the only one out of the whole city that was to be saved. Her name was Rahab. Believe it or not, her name shows up in the lineage of Jesus Christ. A prostitute in the lineage of the Messiah. She was to be saved because she put her life and her family at risk for the Israelites by showing them a way out of town. What but one way out? Just had, happened to be through her window. But in the lineage of Rahab, there was a man named Achan. And he was the son of a man named Carmi. And Carmi was the grandson of a man named Zabdi. Walk with me now. And Zabdi was the great-grandson of a man, of, of Zerah, of Zerah. They all came out of the tribe of Judah. Now, why in the world did Joshua feel it necessary to put the lineage of these folk in the lesson that he was trying to teach you? Because sometimes it matters who you come from. It matters the reputation of your folk and what they do. The reference to the family was made to show, you got to do some studying on this, that the man who's at the center of this issue came from a family of schemers. Oh, yeah. Because if you go all the way back to his great-grandmama, who was the daughter-in-law of Judah, 
Jacob's fourth son, this woman tricked Judah into thinking she was a prostitute. And she conceived for him a set of twins. This was a bad problem at the time. She conceived for him a set of twins. The oldest of the twins was Zira, the one I just read to you. The oldest of the twins. And so she held from a family of deceivers. Joshua referred to this man's upbringing to show that maybe in their hello, scheme and lifestyles, they had not taught the importance of keeping the Lord's word as much as they should have. And because they had not taught the importance of keeping the Lord's word, the man who we're talking about today thought it was okay when he went into battle and the Lord said, don't get any of it, and he still got some of it. Because he had been taught at the house that God's word don't mean what you think it means. He had been taught at the house to devalue God's word. He had been taught at the house that no don't always mean no. He had been taught at the house that if you see something you want, you can get it, despite the consequences. And so here we come to this place when God told all the children of Israel, go in, conquer the land, don't take anything. But in the middle of them was a man named Achan. And Achan's heart was breaking for some gold and for some silver and for some cloth. And when they went in, look at this now, when they went in and they took all of the gold, he put some in his knapsack. Wow. And then he took it and he buried it in his tent. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody knew. Nobody saw him. No one was the wiser, or so he thought. God always knows. And God knew that he had violated his tenant. Yeah. The command was clear, y'all. Don't take anything. There was no ambiguity in the command. Just as the command was clear, the disobedience was deliberate. He took it. He hid it. And let me tell you this. The great-grandson of the schema violated the law. It wasn't by accident. It was on purpose. And some people believe that what they do has no bearing on other people. I came to tell you today, we are all interconnected. God looks at all believers as his own. And when one violates, guess what? He looks at it as if everyone violated. It's amazing. The other folk didn't even know what had happened. How do I know this? Because when God told Joshua, son of Nun, that there had been a trespass against him, Joshua was genuinely surprised. He was shocked that it happened. And so what did he do as the leader? He started searching from tent to tent in the camp to find out what happened. And they went in and they tore up every tent. Can you imagine how afraid Achan was? Because he knew they would come in and find out exactly what he had done. Somebody in here probably shaking in their boots because the Lord know what you're doing too. Yeah. 
You want to know why you're not making the progress in your life that you want to be making? Maybe it's because you got some secret sins going on. You can't make one foot, take one step forward because you still got that buried back there in your tent. Nobody in here knows what's going on, but guess who does know what's going on? And in his eyesight, you have committed a trespass against him. We want to know why the church is being ineffective in the community right now. Maybe it's because we got too much secret sin going on right now. He knows. He knows exactly what we're doing. It doesn't matter how you print it up. It doesn't matter that Aiken reported for duty and said, I'm ready to go, Joshua. Tell me what you want me to do, because he still got that secret sin. Buried in his yard. God always knows what's going on, and he acts accordingly. You can't fool God. And amazingly, God holds the trespass against all of us. He puts it to our charge. And what does that tell me? That tells me that I am my brother's keeper. I am my sister's keeper. That tells me that I need to be responsible for what's going on with you. And if I see you in a fall, I got a responsibility to say something to you so that you can pull out of that situation you find yourself in. Somebody ought to say amen. Because too many of us have gotten comfortable saying it ain't my problem. I came to tell you today it is your problem. It's all of our problems. Yeah, you want to know why we got too many young folk who don't do well? You see their parents. You know why they're not doing well. You know the struggles they have. You and I ought to be saying something. What's the thing? If you see something, you ought to say something. Yeah. So you can straighten it out. The command was clear. The disobedience was deliberate. And everybody was affected by it. Yeah. People think that small things don't matter. I came to tell you the only thing that matters is small things. I came to tell you that today. It's small things that make a difference. Leave a lug nut off your tire on your car. Just one. Just leave one lug nut off. And any good mechanic like me in here will tell you. Y'all have gotten distracted. <laughs> Any good mechanic like James in here will tell you okay. that it won't be long before it's more stress on those other lugs. And that stress is going to cause unnecessary wear on that tire. And you might be riding along and just hit one of our normal potholes in Birmingham. <laughs> Not even an ugly pothole, just a normal and that normal pothole will throw your car into a tailspin. I'm sorry, Brother Chief, but that's just the analogy today. That's how it works. The same thing happens in your life. There was an old saying, for want of a nail. For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the message was lost. For one of the message, the battle was lost. And for one of the battle, the kingdom was lost. 
I came to tell you right now, we got problems not paying attention to the small things. Small things make a difference in your life. Small things in your life can be the difference between success and failure. Pay attention to the small things. With God's help, the Israelites have been winning all their battles. Let me tell you how this matters. They had been winning all their battles because God was on their side. They had just defeated Jericho. They just took it, Cass, and they took it with a great force. And here they are, they get to this little small city called Ai. And Joshua, who was full of himself, says, I know if we can take Jericho in this supernatural way that God has given it to us, I know we ought to be able to take Ai with no problem. So he just takes a small force and he sends them into AI, and they got whooped when they went in there. You know why? Because you can't win nothing without God on your side. Nothing! It doesn't matter how many you got, you need to have the Lord on your side. I don't quote a whole lot of things, but some of these folk on TV say, but I can tell you, Ann Graham, Lott, Billy Graham's daughter, said something one time that was so prophetic. She says, right after the 9-11 bombing, she said, people run around all the time talking about God, talking about what he is and, and why does he care. Why does he provide for folk? Or why doesn't he protect people at certain times they want him to? They denigrate him. They disrespect his name. They talk about how much they don't need him. And then when situations like this happen, they start asking, well, where was God? She said, well, maybe. Is it possible that God just got tired of folks saying what he wouldn't do? And as a gentleman, he just allowed things to happen. And can I tell you this right now? When God is not on your side, it don't take a 747 to take a building down. A fly could hit the building and knock a building down if God ain't taking care of the building. You and I both think that it's our man, our, our, our intelligence that keeps things going. Can I tell you that it's God's grace that keeps all of this in motion? Can I tell you that it's the grace of God that keeps these big buildings from toppling over, that keep these airplanes in the sky and these boats on the water? It's all God's grace. Man is arrogant enough to think that we got it all in motion and we keep it together, but without God on our side, none of it works the way we think it's supposed to. And here's an instance in scripture where when God took his hand off of the situation, destruction was at hand. Do you know why destruction comes? Because we live in a system that's not spiritual and doesn't do us any good. We've got, we've got, we're dependent on ourselves in all our battles, and I came to tell you that there are things in the world that have no business in church. No business in church. We try to put the systems of the world into church. 
and the systems of the world only mean negative and destruction for the church. Competition in the world is good. Competition has no business in the church. Members shouldn't be competing against one another. In fact, they ought to be helping one another. Self-preservation in the church doesn't do any good. I, I know we feel like it's a doggy dog world out there, and it is. But when we bring that mentality in here, the big folk run over the small folk. And nobody wins under those circumstances. Secret meetings and being two-faced in the church has no business in the church. It tears up the fellowship and makes it such that nobody can trust anybody else. If you look at verses 11 and 12, although there was only one man who after hearing God's clear command, one man had been deliberately disobedient, God talked about it like everybody had done it. And used plural, plural words to indicate that the sin had affected everybody. So let me tell you what happens when you get a clear command from God and you are deliberately disobedient, you can be pretty much guaranteed of future failure. It's going to happen. You can expect it unless you remove the sin from among you. You got to get rid of what it is. Aiken was struggling because he knew he was about to be outed. He couldn't concentrate on doing God's business because he was trying to concentrate on his own business. So what happens once he's outed? Well, in this instance, Aiken came forward and he confessed. Confessed that he had taken the things that belonged to the Lord. And so I came and asked you today, have you? Have you confessed? Is there something you need to confess about? Would we be concerned, or would he be the Lord, be concerned with the company we keep? Would he be ashamed by that? What about the activities that go on in our home? Somebody ought to say, uh-oh. <sighs> yeah, y'all real quiet on me right now. Y'all real quiet on me. Yeah, secret sins to make you think. Yeah, what's in that closet upstairs? Would we find some of God's missing treasure buried in our home? We don't even have to go there. How about if we just look at in our bank account? Is some of God's money in there still resting that needs to be put over here? Come on now. Yeah, don't act like it's hidden. Yeah, you check your balance every day. Are you calculating your money and his money? <laughs> Somebody ought to be saying, is that a secret sin? When we're not tithing the way we should, when we're not giving back a portion, just a portion of God's money, or maybe I should say when we're not taking out the portion that he gave to us and leaving the rest for him. Amen, handkerchief. What's keeping us distracted from doing the Lord's business? Are we concentrating too much on something else? Future failure comes about. Maybe we should know that our hidden sin, it may be the reason that some of our programs fail. May be the reason that we're not as effective as we should be. 
when it comes to witnessing. Uh, maybe somebody won't learn about the Lord because we're distracted by some of our secret sins. So if I know God's clear command, but I've been deliberately disobedient, I ought to know that it affects not just me, it affects everybody. I'm pretty certain I know by now that future failure is a distinct possibility, and that might be what my church is battling so hard, but there is a common blessing for us. It's called God's grace. Achan comes in, y'all, and he confesses to Joshua the sin that he had done. He revealed all of the stuff that he had taken. Now, I got to tell you this. If you read this story and read Achan's punishment, you're going to be quaking in your boots. Yes, and you need to shout hallelujah that God don't do folk like that no more. Because not only was Achan destroyed, all his family was destroyed, everything they owned was destroyed. They even got rid of the animals in the tent that belonged to Achan. In other words, God does not play when it comes to sin. Yeah, even his tent was destroyed. And so if you think we're getting away with the hidden sin, I need to tell you that there's a punishment for you and me, too. If we're struggling, if we don't take care and take advantage of the plan of forgiveness that's been laid out for us, then we, too, may face, will face, this condemnation. But look, verse 26 tells us, because of the confession, because of confession, because God was satisfied with how it had been resolved, his anger turned away from the entire camp. In fact, it says the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger because true repentance and reformation had come about. There is a way to resolve it if you're sincere in your prayer to the Lord to bless you. He will, in fact, bless you. If you reform sincerely, he will bless you. And then I need to tell you this, God's grace reminds us that we have an unlimited personal save. Oh yeah, yeah. If you want to have his grace, just ask Jesus to save you. He's the way we truly repent of all our sin. So God gave a clear command at AI that was violated by Achan. He was deliberately disobedient. You learned from Achan's secret sin that that sin affected everybody. And in fact, you also saw that that secret sin caused future failure in the battles that they had. That's significant. But we also have the assurance of knowing that Jesus Christ is the way for us to repent of all our sins and take away the sin. Look, you ought to know that if you know Jesus' life and what he did, the sin that I have secret can be laid on him as well. If I simply give him my life, look at this, Acts 13 and 28. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb, and God raised him from the dead. Paul wrote, said, wrote that, that at just the right time, that's just when we needed somebody to come in and rescue us from the damnation that was upon us. 
when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will a man give his life for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die, but God. So we started out this sermon talking about but. But can get you one way or the other. Yeah, but can have you messed up such that you realize what your sins and your trespasses are. But on the other end, but can also show you how good God is. All right? But God sent someone to rescue us from our own evil actions. The question is, do you know him? Do you know what he's done for us? I came to extend to you an invitation to learn about this Jesus Christ that God sent, that he allowed to come. He happened to be his only begotten son. He happened to be the one who was born to take away our sins. God demonstrated his very love for us because when we were still sinners, he let Christ come to die for us. So when we sing about God's grace, it's amazing. But we also sing the song, I once was lost, but, but now I'm found. If today is the day you know, but you've identified that you were blinded by your past actions, but now is the time for you to see more clearly, and you see that Jesus Christ is the way, then I extend to you an opportunity, an invitation to join his family and accept the tree of righteousness that's been extended to you. Perhaps you've already got a church membership, or you've already accepted salvation, but you need a family to grow in and fellowship in. I extend to you an invitation that allows you to come and be a part of this church family where we'll love you and grow with you and fellowship with you. We'll become a part of your family, an extension of your physical family. The question is, is today the day you make that exception, that you accept that invitation? While the choir stands to sing this song, whosoever will, let them come.